Hello all, welcome or welcome back to End Everything In Between. I'm your host, Mela. I realized that last episode, I didn't really give any other life updates or anything else I wanted to talk about besides the main subject of that episode because I was so angry and I still am very angry. But now that I've had time to reflect, I'm going to be sharing some updates with you guys, some books I've been reading, um, music I've been listening to, because as you guys know, I have a playlist for every occasion, and I love to make playlists and listen to new music, so I'm excited to talk about that with you guys. Um, But first and foremost, I turned 16 a little over a month ago, and I got my license, which has been really exciting, and I feel like Getting your license is like the first major step to more independence, you know, not relying on your parents for as much, not saying I'm like, okay, moving out, but it's just, it's nice to be able to do things myself and not have to rely on my parents to do everything for me, like driving me around. So it's just nice that I was able to take that step and I've been enjoying it, even though I didn't do really well on the test, but I honestly... I expected it because I knew I was going to psych myself out and that I was nervous, but the important thing is that I still passed, so I have been definitely enjoying that. Um, And something else, when I made my podcast episode Summer Experiences, you guys know I was talking about how, you know, sometimes we tend to compare our summer and the time that we spend to other people and what they're doing and kind of wishing we could measure up to them, and... I've kind of been straying away from that automatic mindset my mind tends to sway towards. And what I've been doing, I've just been enjoying my days, not putting pressure on myself to get a bunch of stuff done because, you know, it's my time to relax and I need to let go of that guilt I feel for relaxing. So I've really just been enjoying listening to music, you know, getting ready for the day, doing my makeup routine, pretending I'm in a Vogue Beauty Secrets video. I've really, really been enjoying that. And it's honestly become my favorite part of my day. It's just, it's like so therapeutic because I, I don't know, I can't explain it, but just listening to music and doing my everyday routine, something about that just calms me because I know what's going to happen next, what I'm going to do next. And that's really therapeutic for me. Some new playlists. I told you guys, love my playlists. So I've made a few new playlists. Um, I don't know if I had this playlist when I talked about my music taste. I don't think I did because when I made that episode, Stranger Things 4 wasn't out. But after Stranger Things 4, I finally made my Stranger Things in the 80s playlist. Obviously, it has like all the original soundtracks, like the theme song, the walking and Hawkins kids. But then it also has like the classics of the 80s, you know, like the clash, like should I stay or should I go, obviously. And then all of those songs are used in the soundtrack for Stranger Things. I mean, I swear, I think that soundtrack for that show is literally like my favorite soundtrack of all time. I also really like the Gilmore Girls one, but I mean, nothing, nothing compares to Stranger Things. So I made that and I really like listening to that when I'm like on a bike ride or I'm driving at night. I don't know, something about it. 
I've been feeling like Nancy recently, the older sister vibe. I don't know. I also made a playlist called Old Fashioned Lad, and that just has like artists who are popular maybe in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, whatever. Um, so that has um, The Smiths, Madonna, uh, Mozzie Star, just a lot of like older artists, um, Fleetwood Mac. I think I, did I have that playlist? I don't think I had that playlist when I made my music taste episode. I've really been liking Madonna's music recently. Um, I've been listening to that a lot and I wonder why she isn't more popular today because I feel like older artists tend to blow up or become very popular very quickly with like teenagers now. So I was wondering why Madonna doesn't, you know, a lot of people don't listen to her, but you know, I've been listening to her a lot. I really like the Smiths too, you guys know, but I'm trying to stray, not stray away from, but also like broaden my listening beyond their beyond their like very popular songs, you know, Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now, This Charming Man. Um, so I was listening to the Apple Music Top 25 Smith's Essentials playlist, and I discovered a few more songs that I really like by them. I, I don't know, something about it. It's very autumn-y vibes, and it's just very relaxing to me, just listening to it when I get ready. Steve Lacey's new album is literally amazing. My favorite song right now is Bad Habit. I can't stop listening to it. It is so good. I love that album so much. I've been listening to that nonstop. Um, I've also been really, like another one of my favorite songs right now is Fade Into You by Mossy Star. And yeah, I, I don't know. That song is just very relaxing. It makes me like, I don't know. It just makes me calm down, breathe in and out. And then another artist I've been really liking, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Joe Keery. I didn't even know Joe Keery made music but it's D-J-O. Is it Doe? I, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know how you pronounce it, so I'm just going to spell it out, D-J-O. But his music, I love the song Change by him, and he's coming out with a new album, which I'm really excited about because I really like 2020, which was his first album. And yeah, so I don't know. I've just been trying to broaden my music taste and listening to more older artists or artists who I previously didn't listen to much. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. But the main thing I wanted to update you guys on were these three books I've read in between the two weeks of my last podcast episode, The Handmaid's Tale and Internalized Misogyny, and this week's podcast episode, which you will see, well, you probably already saw the title, but because <laughs> I'm right now, I obviously don't have the title I'm recording right now. So but you know the title. But I really wanted to talk to you guys about these books I've read. I read three books. I read the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. The sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, like, it was amazing. Um, The Handmaid's Tale was kind of hard for me to get into. I was on page 100 and I still wasn't very involved in the characters, like rooting for any of the characters, but the testaments hooked me from the first page. I liked all three perspectives because it's told in three different perspectives. And I really appreciate how Atwood connected the two books, but it wasn't very obvious. I had to do a bit of Googling, a little bit of research after I finished the Testaments to confirm what I thought was true, how Offred was connected to the characters in the Testaments. 
but my suspicions or my whatever my you know thoughts were right and I mean it's just amazing I won't spoil it but it is it was an incredible book and it gave me chills the ending gave me chills because the ending is told 100 years after the downfall of Gilead which was like this regime or republic that had taken over the United States government and you know it was told from this history professor who's I think he was either giving a lecture or like a tour to people and he was talking about these artifacts they found and one of them was one of the main character's manuscripts of everything that had been going on and like statues and you just hear about him talking about our main characters that we've been following and saying, you know, we don't know much about these people, but we can assume blah, blah, blah. And it's just as the reader, you're like, I know these people, like I know these characters. So I think it was really, really good. And it was a really great way to follow The Handmaid's Tale. Um, the next book I read was called This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub. And she actually owns an, a bookstore in Brooklyn, New York, or New York City with her husband, which I thought was really cool. Um, so, but this book, like, This Time Tomorrow, I was sobbing. I was full-on sobbing at midnight in my room reading this book. I mean, it was amazing. Um, it's basically about this... 40-year-old woman who is, she's content with her life, but that's what she claims, but, you know, she's not really, she doesn't really feel like she's accomplished anything, um, she still works at the school that she went to her whole life, her primary and secondary school, um, or primary school and, like, high school, secondary school, I don't know if high, if that's high school or college, but whatever, um, she likes to paint, but she hasn't actually painted in years. And, you know, it just kind of tells her life. And then it also, one of the main points of the story is that her father, Leonard, is dying. And she doesn't know why he's dying. But she feels like she didn't appreciate their relationship enough. She didn't get to know him well enough before he died. And I just think it captured the relationship between a parent and child, specifically a father and a daughter, extremely well. It was a very well-developed book and I just, I loved it so much. It was easy to get into, easy to read, but it had underlying themes that really connected with me because she travels back in time to her 16th birthday party and it's kind of Groundhog Day-esque where she's reliving this 16th birthday party over and over again trying to change things each time and make her life better as well as save her father from dying. And this book just touched my heart and I gave it five stars, five out of five, which 10 out of 10, which is like a 10 out of 10, obviously. Why am I like explaining that? Like five out of five equals 10 out of 10. Yeah, duh. But it was an amazing, amazing book. And I had been on the wait list for it at the library for like six weeks I was number, what, 180, and I used to be 360, and this was after six weeks, so I was like, oh my god, I'm never getting this book, and I was just at the library browsing around, what do I see? This book on a shelf, new reads, I snatched it up so fast because I've been wanting to read this book for so long, and it did not disappoint, it was amazing, 
The third book I read was called The Virgin Suicides. I forget who it's by, but it's like a very, I don't know if it's famous, but it's going to be the first author that pops up. And The Virgin Suicides is basically about kind of the downfall of this family and how the five sisters of this family who are like admired by these neighborhood boys kill themselves all in the span of a year. And the perspective is not from the sisters, it's from the neighborhood boys who are always watching and gathering evidence to figure out, you know, what happened. And I feel like if I read it again, maybe in a class, and I actually have discussions about symbolism, because I did Google, you know, symbols in the Virgin Suicides character list. I was doing a whole Spark Notes analysis, even though I didn't have a test to study for on it, because I wanted to understand, I knew there were symbols in it, and they were really complex symbols, like I'm not sure I still understand them, even after reading the Spark Notes version, which simplifies it quite a bit, but I just think it's a beautiful book about, you know, adolescence and growing up and kind of how family plays a part in your identity and the boys have this fantasy of the girls and they act like they know him or they they know him they know them and they really don't know the girls they're just watching them from afar and making up versions of them in their heads which is kind of what their neighbors were doing too so it's kind of like this whole theme of you don't really know your neighbors this american suburbia you know you don't know what goes on inside the walls of another home. Only the sisters could really know that. So I could talk about that book for a long time, but I thought it was really great and the symbols, the themes in it were really strong. Almost too difficult for me to comprehend. I probably would need to be explained, explained it by someone else to understand it more. So I might read it again in a few years when I'm older to try and understand it better. But I really did like it and... I think it's a great book discussion book. If me and my friends start up our book club we had last year again, I would definitely recommend reading The Virgin Suicides. I think that's a great, great discussion book. The themes are just outstanding. So that's kind of my life updates. Those are some books I've been reading. They were all very good. I'd recommend all of them. If I had to rank them, I think I would rank them This Time Tomorrow, The Testaments, The Virgin Suicides, although The Testaments and This Time Tomorrow were both like equally very good. The Virgin Suicides, just because sometimes it was a little slow and it took a long time for the plot to move along, I would rate it a little less, but it's still very good. Anyways, enough with me talking about that. Today, we're going to be talking about conformity, and I actually have an interesting story to kind of kick off this subject of conformity. I've been thinking about it and it's something that really interests me. It's interesting to talk about. So that's what I'm gonna be talking about. So me and my brother, we were at the beach, right? That's why I didn't make that podcast episode in the summer of 2022 because we were at the beach. So we were at the beach and my dad was telling us all these stories from his childhood, you know, he used to get in trouble. My dad wasn't a very good kid. He was kind of rebellious. But one of the things he used to do is he and his friends would go across the street of a very busy road or just a road in general. They would have a few friends on one side and a few friends on the other side. And 
they would pretend and trick the cars or the people driving the cars on the road into thinking they were playing tug of war with a rope, even though there was no rope. But they would pretend to be like pulling, pulling, pulling on this rope and like, oh no, we're leaning forward. Oh no, now we're leaning back. It was very convincing. And obviously you don't see a rope. You know they're not tugging on a piece of string because that's basically impossible. So the drivers knew there was no rope, yet they would stop their cars and be, and look. They would stop their cars. They would be like, um, I'm not going. Like, I don't know. There's a rope. Even though they could clearly see with their own eyes, they're tugging at air. And I asked my dad, you know, why did people believe that? Why did people believe this fake rope? And he said, it's a power of suggestion, aka it's a version of very mild conformity. Let me give you the story of me and my brother at the beach. So me and my brother were at the beach, right? And we heard this story and we were like, okay, we have to try this. So we go down to kind of where the waves are starting to lap at our ankles and we're about 15, 20 feet apart, we start tugging. And it's very convincing when we're tugging, we're like, we're like, go, go, like, hold on, hold on. It was convincing, I won't lie. And these people, they'll be walking straight to the middle and then they'll see us, they'll like look at us and then they'll go around us. And I just remember this family of four was walking and this girl was about to run through and her mom was like, no, no, like so-and-so, stop. And the mom, even though there was no rope, everyone could see with their own eyes, these kids are not tugging on any rope. She was like, no, stop, like don't, don't go over the rope. And it was really weird. Like this woman walking her dog, she went around us, this couple like looked at us and then they they were like, uh, can we go through? And I was like, yeah, but they, all of them stopped and they looked and a lot of them went around and we had that woman who was like, no, don't go through. There was no rope. They couldn't see a rope yet. They believed it. So this is this whole idea of conformity and I, this definition I found, cause I wanted to get a good definition cause it is kind of a psychological term. So this is from simplypsychology.org. Conformity is a type of social influence involving a change in belief or behavior in order to fit in with the group. So this influence, this type of social influence was me and my brother pulling on the rope, on the imaginary rope, and these people changed their behavior, aka they walked around us or they were saying, stop, don't go through in order to fit in with the group, the group meaning me and me and my brother. Because if me and my brother were pretending there was a rope, well, that's two to one. So you're going to believe two people's judgment over your own. If you see two people doing something, then you're going to kind of follow along with them because that's what the group is doing. That's kind of this idea of conformity. And so I really wanted to dive into this and talk about this phenomenon of conformity it was so interesting to me like why do people do this why why is this power of suggestion so strong this conformity so strong and it reminded me of this psychological experiment i learned about in psychology this school year and it's called the ash conformity experiment and basically the 
psychologist Solomon Ash, he had a group of people. Um, I'm not sure the exact number, but it wasn't like a big group. I'm going to say it was like four people. And he drew on a board three lines. One of them was medium-sized, one of them was very long, and the other one was like ridiculously short. Not ridiculously short, but way shorter than the other ones, obviously the shortest line. And I forget if he was asking if he was asking people what's what is the longest line or what is the shortest line. I'm not sure. I think he was asking people what the shortest line was. And you had to point to line A, B, or C. And so the three people that went all said without hesitation that the longest line, line A, was very short, the shortest line. So they were like, A, A, A. Then you come to the fourth person. This is the person who's not in on the experiment. They don't know that the other three people are trained to say A because we want to see what this person this variable is going to do. Are they going to also say the longest line is actually the shortest line? Or will they say, you know, the shortest line is the shortest line, line C? So there were a lot of people that said, I don't know if I'm this exact, I'm like getting the details exactly right, but the gist of it, I'm getting the gist of it. So there were people who were saying, you know, line A, because that's what everyone else had said before them. And the factors that I think made people say the longest line was the shortest one, even though they knew in their minds, like, uh, this is a long line. The fact there was anonymity, which means that everyone agreed, there was no hesitation, no doubts to which line was the shortest. They all said the longest line. So seeing that the rest of the group is saying line A is the shortest line, to see that no one was hesitating, no one was doubting, and being the only person that is doubting yourself, the only person that is disagreeing with the group, makes you seem like you're wrong. Because everyone else is thinking this. Everyone else has said the same answer. So why is it me that's thinking differently? Well, I must be wrong. And I feel like this happens in everyday situations. Um, specifically, I can recall in math class, you know, this probably happens in everyone's math class. It's probably happened at least once in your math class. You're in math and the teacher is, the teacher says the answer is blah, blah, blah. The teacher makes a mistake. Even though the rest of you are like, that's not what I got. No one says anything because you have this authority figure who is saying this is what the answer is. And so you're willing to conform your beliefs to this answer because the person who is right, who's usually right, says that's the answer. So even though you know in your in your mind that's not the right answer, you're not going to say anything. You're just going to say, you know what, maybe I did make a mistake. Because the authority figure is the one who is usually right. And that's what they said. So you must be wrong. It was just very interesting to think about. And I feel like conformity has a lot of impacts on society. Number one being that it creates all these different trends. You see one popular celebrity wearing a certain type of fashion. All of a sudden, you have all these other people wearing that same fashion because this type of authority figure is doing something and you want to be a part of the group. You want to conform 
to do what they're doing. So that's how this trend of wearing something starts to form. And that's how I think fashion trends, like widespread fashion trends over a large region form also. Like you have the Western fashion trend of wearing like short skirts, dresses, shorts for women and wearing suits and ties for men when they go to work. And that's kind of the Western fashion culture because you're going to wear what everyone else is wearing to conform to that behavior by the group. So I think that's really interesting. And you see this with makeup trends. I'll get into that a little later. Lifestyle trends, you know, pretty much every American home has a TV in their house. Pretty much, not pretty much, okay, okay not pretty much. But a lot of American families, you know, the the assumption is that your family would eat dinner together. Those are these types of lifestyle things that even if that's not really what your family would do, you're going to do it because other people do it too. Like, oh, you don't eat dinner with your family? That's what I do. And it's like, you know what? I do now. Like I'm conforming to what you're doing and what everyone else is doing. So I think that's how we come up with these different trends and these different traits of regions. Like the United States, we have specific traits that other countries around the world don't have. And I also think conformity allows these big brands to monopolize markets because they become popular or normal to have. I think the first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about this was Apple. I mean, Apple basically has a monopoly over the technology market. And you may say, oh no, there's Samsung, there's like, I don't even know. <laughs> like, I can't think of very many other brands because Apple basically has a monopoly over technology. Like there is no product or no technology product that's better than Apple. Even though, you know, you may think, oh no, Microsoft is better. Apple pretty much has the biggest control over this market. And so it becomes normal in the United States, at least, to own an iPhone. You see other people without iPhones and you're like, why don't you have an iPhone? That's what everyone else is doing. So you want to conform to that. You want to buy an iPhone so that you can fit in with the rest of the country. And I'm not saying that, no, this is what everyone does. Everyone buys an iPhone for this reason. But I feel like that is how Apple grew in popularity because they made a product that people really liked. And so once we have this company starting to grow and more and more people starting to use Apple products, Apple becomes a trend. And then the trend grows big, bigger and bigger until it's not even a trend anymore. It's just part of our lifestyle, owning Apple products. So I think that was really interesting how conformity plays a role in that. Also, any major social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all these giant social media brands have a huge hold on this little digital world because it's normal to have Facebook. It's normal to have Instagram. They're popular. You want to download Instagram because all your friends have it. However... You don't want to download this random app on the app store that only has four reviews because no, none of your friends have it. So why get it if no one else has it? Why conform to that? And I just thought that was really interesting. And if you know this new 
kind of social media outlet that has become very popular. Um, it's called Be Real. I don't have it because my friends don't have it. But people whose friends have it, what are you likely to do? You're likely to get it. And this app is becoming a trend right now to have. It's very popular, which means more and more people are going to use it to fit in with everyone else. So who knows? Maybe it will become one of the big social media outlets. I think a lot of social medias die down after like a few weeks because they don't have the following that really big other social medias have, but, you know, Be Real could challenge that. Who knows? I was just thinking of that, how a lot of people are getting it because they're friends and they're conforming it, they're conforming to get it because everyone else has it. Also, you may not have realized this. I didn't realize this until I was like, it was 11 o'clock at night. I was like, hmm, what am I going to do for my next podcast episode tomorrow? I knew I was interested in conformity. I was like, I need some substance to this episode. I need actual things to talk about related to conformity. So I'm thinking, okay, conformity's impacts on society. And then I'm thinking about trends because we know trends are kind of surrounded. Trends are at the root is conformity. Trends become trends, trendy. Things become trendy. <laughs> I didn't word that right. Because people want to do what everyone else is doing. But I was also thinking of design styles in homes, especially in America. The big trend in homes is to have this gray and white, minimalistic, kind of farmhouse design pattern. Like you have white brick on the outside with black accents. The inside is gray floors and gray and white furniture and marble or quartz or granite countertops, you know, like a nice white kitchen. And this whole design pattern, I feel like is in, I feel like has been influenced by conformity because people see this nice house and they say that really, that looks really nice. I want to do this in my own house. Or I seen, I've seen a famous millionaire that has this type of house and it looks really cool. So I want to do this to my house. Here, again, we have this trend. And then all of a sudden people are changing their design preferences to fit in with everyone else because that's what everyone's doing. That's kind of what's expected. So all of these new homes that are being built kind of have this same farmhouse, white, black, gray style because American society is kind of conformed to like this sort of style. And it makes people want to redo their whole house to look like this, which I think is really interesting because I actually have seen many houses that have been renovated, like painted on the outside and redone on the inside to look like what I'm describing. And I feel like a lot of people don't like it because it's very, it can almost seem sterile and bland, like there's a lack of color, a lack of life. I'm not saying that, I don't know, I don't personally love that design style. But it's what's popular right now, especially among home buyers now. That's like the trend. But it's kind of turning into more of this style of home that automatically when homes are built, they're built to be gray and white with white kitchens and open floor plans. They're all built to look like that because this conformity, this idea of changing our behavior of buying these homes 
it's been influenced by all the other people that have them, if that makes sense. But I think, you know, I was talking about how it makes people want to redo their whole house. It makes people want to change their design preferences. Overall, conformity makes it harder for people to develop their own unique interests. And I have actually a few examples of that. If you think about teenagers these days, teenagers, a lot of them, especially girls, and not shaming this because I'm, I, when I say teenagers, teenage girls, I am talking about myself, but they kind of dress similarly. They shop at the same places, listen to very similar music, decorate their rooms the same way. You know, if you are on TikTok and you've seen these videos, you know, everyone has these same like rose bed sheets. Everyone has same, the same like usernames on social media, like Pinterest lover, angel, different angel numbers, like the New York City obsessed aesthetic, different music posters that are all like similar bands. Like it's not just me who's discovering that I like the Smiths. A lot of teenage girls have very similar music interests. Lana Del Rey, a lot of teenage girls like Lana Del Rey and Taylor Swift. And that's not a bad thing. Personally, I love Lana Del Rey. I love Taylor Swift. I am starting to really like the Smiths. Even clothes. Like, I have a lot of the same clothes or the same style as these people on social media. And they kind of have the same overall aesthetic. When I say aesthetic, I mean they all just have... Like, when I say aesthetic, I mean the way they decorate their rooms kind of correlates to the way they dress themselves, the clothes they wear, to the makeup they use, to the, I don't know, to the TV shows they like. You know, a lot of teens, specifically teen girls, have this overall similar aesthetic. I have that similar aesthetic, but it does make it hard for people to develop these unique interests because you see all these people, this trend of dressing like this, so you want to do that too. You want to conform, change your preferences to fit in with the bigger group of people. And all of a sudden, you've kind of lost yourself along the way. You've lost what you're actually interested in. You've lost your true your true design style, your true fashion sense, your true identity. And everyone not everyone, but a lot of people want to fit in with this overall group of people, especially people your age. So your interests change over time from what you actually like to what other people around you like. And it's kind of hard to differentiate the two. No one knows what they actually like because they confuse this kind of wanting to conform to the social norms of, you know, shopping at certain stores with stores they actually like, with clothes they actually like, and they confuse that. And when I say they, I mean me. I mean, I have had such a hard time kind of finding out what I really like to wear because I've been influenced by other people to dress a certain way, even though that's not my actual style. And I was confusing this trend and seeing other people dress like this with my actual taste, with what I actually liked. I thought, oh, I do really like this. Nope, that was just my brain wanting to be like everyone else and wanting to dress like everyone else. 
And it is really hard to kind of separate yourself from that. It's something I'm still working on. And every time I think I've found my true style, a few months later, I'm like, you know what? This is not my style. This was another example of conformity, me wanting to do what the group was doing and changing my preferences or my behaviors because of that. And I think that's why so many products become viral, like they go viral online and then they just die because people are always on to the next thing. As soon as you see less people are using this now, the product becomes less trendy. And if it becomes less trendy, you're less likely to conform. Your behavior is less likely to change to buying that because that's not what the group is doing. The group is not using that product anymore. The group has moved on to the next thing. So I think that's why there's so many different trends that are popping up. Like there are so many different viral gadgets and especially on social media, there's so many viral makeup products. Like it's crazy. TikTok makeup videos always have the same products. They always have the same things from Sephora. People are always buying the same thing because they want to fit in with other people. That's what other people are doing. And I feel like it's kind of our natural instinct to do that. It's my natural instinct to do that too. I mean, I'm not even going to lie. I do that too. I buy things because I see other people have them and I, I don't know, like I want to say, oh, I also have that and I really like it, even if it's not necessarily my taste. So that's something I'm trying to work on, but at least I think taking a step, I'm taking a step in recognizing that, you know, sometimes this conformity, this wanting to be a part of the group influences my taste and I don't really understand that it's not what I actually want. It's what other people are doing that's influencing me. And I feel like conformity also creates this kind of herd mentality where people will follow what other people do just because it's what everyone else is doing. Like, here's a very, very basic scenario. Everyone else is jumping off a cliff because they say, it's good for my soul. 50 people, you're with 50 of your friends. Wow, 50 friends. You're with 50 of your friends and they all jump off a cliff and this herd mentality is like, well, I'm the only one who's not doing it. And that kind of makes me stand out. Might as well do it. So I feel like conformity and herd mentality are kind of paired together. And they kind of like go hand in hand. And something about kind of this herd mentality, a few examples of this to make it more clear what I'm talking about. I sometimes agree with people when it's not what I actually think, especially on social media. Like, I'll be liking videos or liking comments, liking people's posts, or even in real life, agreeing with what they're saying, nodding my head. And in my head, I'm like, that's not what I think. But because that's what other people are agreeing with, I just automatically go to say, you know what? I agree with that too. Yes, just so I can fit in with the group. So it's kind of this herd mentality slash conformity idea where everyone's opinions kind of change so that they can say, I agree with everyone else. There's no disagreement here. And that's why it really frustrates me is like when I'm on TikTok and I see a video and someone's saying like the most absurd thing and people are just agreeing with it. Like, yes, it makes so much sense. Or even people in the comments who don't really agree with it are being very like tiptoey around it. They're like, 
well, I kind of see your point. Like, no, I don't agree. That's not what I think. And it's, I feel like it's why people can't form their own opinions as well right now because we have this herd mentality. Oh, all these people are doing, all these people are saying X, Y, and Z. And I'm not really going to think it through. I'm just going to believe what they're saying and agree with what they're saying, conform to what they think because I want to fit in with the group. So herd, herd mentality and conformity kind of do go hand in hands. And conformity also makes people spend more money. Everyone has this. I need it. People equals me. Like I just said how I go on Sephora and I'm like, you know what? This would be a nice product to have, even though it's the most unnecessary thing that I won't use. And I think that's why I've been buying so many like new makeup products recently because I've been influenced by other people and I need to stop doing that. I like, I actually need to stop doing that, but I do recognize that I am part of this group of people who is following what everyone else is doing. I am part of that group. I won't even lie. And I was also thinking about this this morning. I wasn't even planning on discussing this, but I think a lot of times cult leaders use conformity. Now that I realize it, cult leaders, you have this charismatic, often narcissistic person who's leading this cult. And when you have an authority figure that's saying something, even though you're like, that doesn't go with my morals. That's not what I think. That's, that's crazy. Like, how can I not see they're manipulating me? I think that's exactly how it works because you have an authority figure that is manipulating you. You have an authority figure that is telling you this is what's right. This is what is wrong. And it's hard to go against that. And it's hard to keep your ground and believe what you want to believe when you have this authority figure in your face telling you you're wrong and I'm right. And I feel like a lot of politics also use conformity, expecting people to just believe what they're saying because it's an authority figure and expect people to change their behavior, to change their morals, to fit in with the authority figure. So just some food for thought. Um, I could elaborate on it more, but I don't know. It's just very interesting. I may make a podcast episode on cults because it is really interesting. I read this book called... What was it called? Oh, it was called After the Fire. I think it was by Will Hill. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. I think it was called After the Fire. And it was basically about this... Was it about a girl? Yeah, it was about a girl who grew up inside this crazy cult. And the cult was actually based on like a true, a true cult. And you see how conformity is used throughout the book in the cult to keep people in line. And... I think if we want to combat conformity, if you want to stop yourself from doing what everyone else is doing, you really just really have to focus in and you have to ask yourself, you know, is this what I really want? Is this what I really think? Are these the ideas I really believe in? You have to ask yourself and you have to have a conversation with yourself slowly and deliberately and you need to talk things through in your head. Like, have a conversation in your mind. Slow things down. Say, is believing that blah, blah, blah 
really the right thing to believe? Is that really what I believe? Because I find that often when you slow things down and you kind of say things out loud or you say things in your head, you realize how ridiculous it sounds or how unlike you it sounds. And I feel like that can help you separate your actual opinion from what other people might think. So just some general tips. I'm also going to be working on this, but I think it's really important that we can separate our own thoughts from other people's thoughts in order to make decisions that are best for us, in order to be smart about things, in order to have compassion for others, and just being able to being able to think for yourself, I feel like is such an important skill that a lot of people lack. Sometimes I lack that as well. So it's something that everyone can work on. Just slowing it down, having that conversation with yourself. Is this what I really think? I also want to talk about kind of this 1950s conformity. If you took US history or maybe AP US history or honestly any US history course, or you were even alive in the 1950s in the U.S., you know about this 1950s conformity. Women were expected to conform to the social norms of staying in the kitchen, doing household tasks, being this perfect housewife. And one person who is able to combat conformity, who is able to separate her own opinion from other people's opinions authority figures' opinions kind of led this social uprising and kind of started this feminist movement. And I think that is Betty Friedan's book, Feminine Mystique, where she was saying, you know, is this really all women want in life? Is this really all I want in life? Feminine Mystique was kind of challenging this cult of domesticity where women were expected to stay at home. And so when people, especially women, started to read this book, it kind of led to people stopping or straying away from conformity, thinking about their own opinions and realizing, you know what, I I do want to have my own rights. I don't want to be a housewife. I want to do more than that. So I think combating conformity and certain individuals doing that, such as Betty Friedan, such as Gloria Steinem creating Miss Magazine, led to this social uprising in the feminist movement. And Gloria Steinem Miss Magazine basically talked about women's issues and slowly as more women kind of followed this and they followed Betty Friedan's feminine mystique, a lot of women's marches and protests began. I think that was so cool how we could see like people thinking for themselves could lead to such an amazing movement. And also in the 1950s, the American dream was the expectation. Everyone wanted that shiny car. Everyone wanted their suburban home, the perfect picture family on ads. And everyone was kind of expected to conform to that American dream. Everyone's expected to buy a house in the suburbs and raise a family and have this perfect family because, you know, that's what everyone else was doing. You were expected to change your behavior and your way of life to do that. And so I think that's how conformity of the 1950s that led to this influx of babies, immigrants. We had urban sprawl to make room for all these new houses being built and all these conformist thoughts of if I have, I should have a house, I should have a suburban home because everyone else has one. 
So I think that's just really interesting and maybe you're comparing it to everyday life because certainly these women's rights are repeating themselves. This conformity is repeating itself with the Supreme Court's decisions and because people are thinking for themselves and combating, you know, maybe what the government might say or what people of authority might say, we have these social uprisings, which I think is pretty cool. Pretty cool. I think it's amazing. And now we still have home ads displaying this perfect new home, that gray, white, black, neutral type of home. And we still have thousands of new homes that are being built because people are still conforming to wanting this design style. So I think it's really interesting. I mean, conformity is something that I would love to do more research on, more studying, understand it even more, kind of the psychology behind it. But yeah, I thought this was a really interesting podcast episode to talk about, a really interesting subject. And it all started with my dad when he was growing up and his friends playing a prank on people that kind of sparked this episode. So I hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you next time.